What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Thanks so much for tuning in. Over the years on the podcast, we've talked about the idea of waking up our clothing and bringing it to life with technology. The promise of the Internet of Things is that we can connect our cities, cars, homes, everyday objects, and even ourselves into a digital ecosystem. Smart fashion has often been positioned as the solution for integrating our human bodies into this digital infrastructure. So, for example, our jacket could hail us an Uber, or our undershirt could monitor our stress levels, and our pants could teach us new yoga poses. These are just a few examples of actual smart fashion products on the market today. Still, these items remain novelties. In order for us to wear connected clothing every day, it needs to look, feel, and act like the apparel, footwear, and accessories we're used to. Some challenges that smart fashion is facing. First, washing. While companies like Ralph Lauren and Levi's may have successfully integrated electronics into textiles, how can these items be worn and washed like regular clothes? Second, if we're going to move towards a future of connected clothing, we'll need access points across all of our wardrobe since we'll probably still want to express ourselves with a diverse personal style and multiple items in our wardrobe. For fashion brands, this means the cost of implementation is much too high. Creating smart fashion lines that are all connected to the internet would ultimately drive up the cost for consumers in an already cutthroat retail landscape. Third, and perhaps most importantly, what's the benefit to the consumer? Sure, being able to hail a ride from your coat is cool, but what are the privacy trade-offs? Some consumers are still confused about the reason why they'd want to be connected to the internet of things in the first place. I'm saying all of this to provide context for our episode today so you can fully appreciate the challenges and opportunities when it comes to the brave new world of connected clothing. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Steve Statler of Williot, a startup that wants to switch on the fashion industry and enable a whole new digital life for our apparel, accessories, and footwear. They're doing this by integrating a paper-thin, battery-free Bluetooth chip that harvests energy from radio frequencies in the air. It's a small and simple solution that has tremendous implications and investors are paying attention. The Israel-based startup has already raised a total of $35 million in funding from companies like Amazon, Samsung, and Qualcomm. Here to tell us more about how Williot will impact manufacturing, retail, the consumer experience, and end-of-life for clothing is Steve Statler, the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at Williot. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be here, Amanda. So for those who don't know, who are you and what is Williot? Well, uh, I'm Steve Statler. I run the business side of things at Williot, which is basically four areas, uh, business development, product management, uh, consulting, and marketing. And more importantly, who's uh, Williot? We're a semiconductor company, a startup headquartered in Israel. I'm here in, in San Diego. Uh, and our mission is to connect people with products, in particular apparel, but also power tools and a number of other things. And we're doing it with 
a chip and a cloud service that is very unique. It's uh, basically a, it's a battery-free Bluetooth tag. Right. And so you had a big splash at the big retail show in New York recently. And the headline that came across was, here's this low energy Bluetooth tag that actually doesn't require a battery. And so what is Williot powered by if not from batteries? Well, we recycle energy, wasted energy, uh, radio frequency energy, which surrounds us. So if you, if you had the kind of vision that could see radio waves, there would be a whole rainbow of energy that is scattered around us. And it comes from Wi-Fi, from Bluetooth, from cellular energy. And we can harvest all, all of that energy. And we, we do it with a chip and an antenna that's the size of a postage stamp. So if you get rid of batteries, you reduce cost, uh, you reduce size, uh, you also reduce the need to access uh, the chip. And that means you can embed it in fabrics, in plastics, in silicon. So there's a, a lot of advantages. And, you know, our vision is to spread the connectivity of the Internet of Things to scale it from billions to a trillion connection points. And we think we can do that with something that is going to cost pennies rather than dollars to, to add connectivity to, to, to things, in, including fashion items. To put it super simply, for people who aren't techie, you're taking energy that's already out there in radio frequency waves and harvesting it and creating a new kind of energy? Is that an oversimplistic way of summarizing it? No, it's a great summary. We harvest energy from Wi-Fi, from Bluetooth, and it comes from all sorts of places, but the same thing comes out. It's a pristine Bluetooth signal, which can talk to any Bluetooth low energy device. So what are those? I think the most uh, significant one is smartphones. Generally, most people these days carry smartphones. So the ability to have Connections between items of apparel and smartphones is, is really exciting in ways that don't distort the look and feel and comfort and the economics of uh, those items of apparel. But it's not just smartphones. It's also all the other Bluetooth devices, uh, things like smart speakers that are starting to pop up all around people's homes. But it's also other IoT infrastructure like Wi-Fi access points for the last Three years, Cisco Meraki, HP Aruba have been shipping Bluetooth as standard in their Wi-Fi access points. So potentially you can have infrastructure that's already in people's homes and already in people's stores reading and receiving the fact that these items are in stock in the store or have been bought home by people. And there's other classes of IoT devices. For like 65 bucks, you can get a cellular to Bluetooth gateway, which is the size of a deck of cards. Uh, and you can put those in distribution vehicles, in vans and trucks. And you can see what are the products that are being delivered, for instance, to someone's home. So the challenge right now with Bluetooth connection for the fashion industry, you kind of touched on it already, but we'll elaborate, is that in order to connect these everyday objects or our wardrobe to the Internet of Things, you have to have some sort of connection point. And on a flimsy piece of fabric or even on smaller accessory like a handbag, that's, of course, challenging because you're going to be all of a sudden increasing the cost if you put you know a traditional bluetooth tag on something but because of 
the nature of the materials that Wilia is using, it makes it actually possible for everyday items and accessories to be connected to the internet of things. Is that, do, am I getting it right here? Absolutely right. Yeah. I, I mean, even before William, I always looked at this area and I thought the early pioneering attempts were very cool, but they're also kind of clunky. You look at the Google Levi's Jacquard jacket as an example. I, I bought one because I thought the idea was just fantastic. But it was an expensive jacket. It was like somewhere between 200 and 300 bucks for basically a denim jacket, a nice one. But you had this like big thing that you had to pull out and recharge. You had to stick it every few weeks into a USB charger. And, you know, I did that a couple of times and I just got old and I never bothered to then. And also the sleeve was kind of distorted. And the other thing was, I travel a lot, and every time I went through the metal detectors through TSA Pre, the, all the alarms got set off. So I really love what was done with that. It was a pioneering step, but it really brought home to me the issues with price and form factor. Every time you ask a consumer to do something extra, you're immediately halving your chances of success. And so if we can have something that is significantly less than a dollar, very flexible, very small, it can go inside the care label, then I think we've got a lot better chance of achieving the vision that some of these pioneers have had. And that's what we're excited about. Yeah, it is a very exciting new reality. And I agree with you that some of those early iterations were definitely clunky, but pointing towards a future where our clothing does indeed come alive and can have this digital life. So when we think about Bluetooth tags and fashion, retail, and manufacturing, what are some of the examples where Williot's tags would make sense? It's a great question, and we're finding new answers to that question every day. We're working with a couple of the largest fashion brands in the world already on early access, early advantage program projects, what we call them at Williot. And uh, we're working with another major fashion accessory company. So we really are, we have a great opportunity to think these through. And the applications range throughout the entire life of the product. If you think about it at the beginning in the manufacturing phase, then if we can tag products as they're being made, then the brands that are often contracting out the manufacturer to uh, places in far-flung countries, sometimes hundreds of different factories all around the world, they can start to have visibility of what those manufacturers are actually doing in real time. You can start to track work in progress as it flows through the factory. And that can be very important if you're a brand and you're trying to overcome time zone and language barriers. And to be frank, trust barriers, what's going on uh, in the manufacturing process. You can track the raw materials, you can track the people, you can track the tools. Assuming that everyone's willing to, to be tracked, that's a, that's a big issue that I'm sure we'll come back to. But then you can start to track the supply chain, the logistical delivery of those products through distribution centers, and then finally to the retailer, and then in the retail store, if you have Bluetooth in an item of apparel, you start to get to the next level of inventory tracking. Inventory is just so important. Knowing if something's in stock or out of stock is just fundamental to uh, good customer experience and optimizing the supply chain. And if you think about the way this has been done 
in the past, we've had kind of a, to use a computer science metaphor, we have a batch approach to inventory tracking. We kind of, best case, we're scanning RFID tags uh, every week or so. Worst case, every few months, someone goes through and gets a view of what's in stock. And in between, maybe there's QR codes that require a lot of manual work. But with Bluetooth, you can scatter a dozen very low-cost receivers, uh, literally like $20 or $30 around a boutique store, and you suddenly have a real-time view of everything that's in stock, and not just what's in stock, but where it is in the store. And our tags, uh, we found recently, we were solving a bug in our chip, and we found that we could detect movement, uh, so we could find out if a product's been picked up and put down. So with that, we can start to register customers' interest in a product. Was this product picked up? Someone looked at it and then put it down, and they didn't even take it to the changing room. Or maybe they did. They took it to the changing room, but they didn't buy it. And then, of course, if we can follow that tag using someone's phone and see that it went out the door, we know that it was bought without having to do a very complex integration with a a point-of-sale system. And then beyond that, even... If you think about the state of the art in you know, the best e-commerce experience, the best shopping experience, it's informed by, say, a concierge that knows what you bought. But how often have you bought something and you wore it once and you never wore it again? It certainly happened to me a few times. And so if we can start to track how often someone wears something, then those recommendations engines for the sale and the wardrobing applications after the sale, they can be based on the products that we like. So that's super exciting. And you can tell from, uh, the the viewers won't be able to tell this, but I'm not like super concerned about what I wear. I wear jeans and a shirt every day. But I was talking to a neighbor of mine and she was describing this nightmare of keeping track of what she wore when and what the combinations were. And If, very simply, phones can keep track of what you wore, then for people that care about what they wear, then, you know, hopefully this information can be presented and suggestions can be made. And who knows, you can even crowdsource the the information about what your friends are wearing to work so you don't end up with the same dress or the same shirt uh, in a meeting together. So many, many applications. And then lastly, and I realize this is a very long answer to a very short question, If we have a digital ID associated with a piece of apparel, we can actually do recycling better. We can keep track of the elements in that and even may extend to having a second life for the product and knowing who had this product before. And we're seeing applications in in the rental for products as well, keeping track of, of that. So it's pretty mind bending. At the root of it is a very simple sticker that transmits an ID and has some simple sensors, but I think the implications are really profound. Yeah, it's really fascinating all the different use cases that you're describing here. And I, for one, am really excited about the future of the connected closet where I can use this personal assistant and kind of have a avatar view even of what I'm going to wear. But of course, when people hear you talking about giving life to clothing and then monitoring the amount of times it's either worn or picked up in store, of course, they're going to get concerned about privacy. So as we continue to bring our 
our clothing to life and bring our clothing into this new internet of things age. Are we anonymizing the data so that the companies are not knowing too much about their consumer? Where do you stand on that? Well, let me first start off with making the problem seem bigger. <laughs> so, you know, we've had this issue for a while with the RFID on, on apparel. There have been some major concerns about that. But uh, the reality is with RFID, very few people have these uh, $3,000 scanners to, to scan tags. And typically, RFID tags get removed and thrown away. But what we're describing is an identity, a Bluetooth identity that lives throughout the, the life of the product, and it can be read by anyone who's got a smartphone. So, you know, what do we do about that? A few months ago, we basically had an epiphany, and we decided that we had to encrypt all of the information that these tags broadcast, that we basically made a rule, and we were challenging this just this morning, because there's many reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. It's more complicated to encrypt this data, you have to decrypt it and, and, and so forth. But we decided to do that. And so within our chip, not only is it able to harvest super weak signals, three orders of magnitude weaker than anything that you would get from solar or a, or a battery, not only are we able to fix it all in a single chip and a tag that's the size of the postage stamp, but we've, we're putting industrial grade encryption in there so that people basically have control and privacy, and there is accountability. If you encrypt the data from a, a care label, then someone has to have the keys to unlock them. And that organization then has accountability for doing the right thing, for adhering to GDPR, to get the opt-in, not just the opt-out, but the opt-in, and to share in clear language that consumers can understand what is happening so that they have a choice. And let's be frank, many people will decide they don't want this and they just uh, they don't want anything to do with this. But I think many people will because the benefits will be you know, really significant. And if we do a good job, the user experience will be cool and there'll be a lot of reasons for opting in. But people have to have a choice. So I think it comes down to clear communication. It comes down to giving people control. It comes down to having the level of security that means that we have we know that only the organizations that we gave permission get access to the data and so we're we're putting the building blocks in place the technology to enable all of that it's certainly an important question as we move forward in understanding how the internet of things is going to affect our privacy so let's talk about funding now. We've talked about the product and what it does and the fashion implications. As I understand it, you've recently raised $30 million in Series B funding. Can you tell us about your investor group? We're very excited. I mean, we the company has always been well-funded. The founders raised their, uh, their A round in the first month the company was founded based on their track record of doing some pretty amazing things in a previous company that they sold to Qualcomm. So uh, we have some great uh, financial VCs, uh, Grove, 83 North and Norwest. And that was in January of 2017. Then Qualcomm, the largest mobile semiconductor company in the world, joined and Merck, uh, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies, joined in October of 2017. What we announced at the, the big show, NRF, the retail show in New York in January, was that there were four other companies that were joining in this B round. So everyone that invested in the A round put more money into the B round 
but they were joined by Samsung, by Amazon, Amazon Web Services, by Avery Dennison, who are the largest maker of uh, labels, they're very strong in apparel and RFID. And then there's a fourth mystery investor, which is basically another very large company that we uh, hope to be announcing uh, later on once uh, a few more of the pieces have fallen in place. So we're definitely funded. Uh, That's important because we don't expect this to take off overnight. There's going to be, I think, a lot of high profile and interesting pilots, but you know, we expect this to, it'll take years for this to, to really scale to, to volumes. But based on the level of interest so far, then uh, we're very confident that success will come eventually. Yeah, absolutely. What an interesting funding journey. And I'm very excited about what you do with these partners in the future because there's so much opportunity. Now, you know, we've been speaking about waking up our clothing and bringing it to life with technology. Why do you think this is important? For me, I tend to think about the data issues that the fashion industry has. I think specifically about, you know, H&M and how it was announced last year that they had $4.3 billion of unsold inventory. If they had something like like Williot in place, would they have the data to be able to make better decisions on the back end? Absolutely. I think uh, there's, there's many stakeholders here and they all have to be satisfied that there's something in it for them. And I think this is where things have maybe not fallen into place before. So, you know, there has to be something in it for the consumer. And I think we've talked about some of the, the benefits in, in terms of I'm actually just a better shopping experience, being able to walk out the store, not having to wait in line so often. So that's kind of a, an aspect to the user experience we haven't talked about. Zero click checkout, getting better advice, whether it's from a, a store associate with a concierging tablet or from an app or your smart speaker that's giving you advice. But that's not enough. Clearly, the the brands and the retailers that are working with the brands, sometimes they're the same thing. They have to have benefits. I I think there's a lot of brands that don't own the store. And what we're seeing for them is they are just giddy with excitement, (laughs) the opportunity to know what's going on in the store. And, you know, there may be some restrictions on what they're allowed to see. But if I'm a brand and I can know what's happening with production, uh, where the inventory is. And then I I can see in real time which products are are being sold and what the interest is and where the interest isn't. Then that has a profound effect on the business of a company that's making fashion products. They can streamline and make changes that will hit the bottom line in a major way. The, The supply chain can be leaner. Uh, You can do more in terms of just in time. You can do a better job of designing products because you know what people are wearing rather than what people are buying and what people are considering buying. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And for, for a retailer, you know, if you can help them get a handle on inventory, that's kind of the nirvana. There's a red dress. Red dresses aren't selling. Why is it that red dresses aren't selling? Well, actually, your inventory system says they're in stock, but they're not in stock. So they'll, they'll never sell because they're not in the store. If we can avoid scenarios like that, then it can make a, a big difference to efficiencies. And once it becomes more efficient, then that benefits everyone. Absolutely. I'm sure that our audience is thinking of so many different applications for such a simple device, really, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it. It's really just about how people will choose to employ this. So I want to know a little bit more about your team. How big is Williot? And 
I understand that the rest of the team is based in Israel, but uh, you're speaking with me from San Diego. Can you can you talk about the team a little bit and uh, where everyone is in the world? Uh, yeah, I think we're a great size. We're 45 people, which is relatively small compared to some of the giants that we're dancing with, but it is uh, not so large that it gets in the way of agility. So we have half a dozen people here in San Diego. We're hiring some more people just about to open up an office in, in Germany, near Bonn, in Cologne. And we have a, an industry veteran of the RFID business who's setting that up. We're not competing with RFID. We're actually working with some of the major players there because we're using the same machines that make these very low-cost RFID tags, but we're feeding Bluetooth chips in one end of the machine rather than RFID chips. So having Michael Zanfenig, who's our uh, VP of operations, is in Germany, has got decades of experience in the RFID business. And so that was a really important hire for us. Our, uh, our founders, so the chip heads, as they would describe themselves, who are in Israel, they have already done some amazing things in the wireless industry. And they invented uh, the first millimeter wave technology, which basically is like super high performance, very high speed transmission. And they kind of went into Williot having done that with a company called Velocity beforehand. And they kind of wanted to do the opposite. They wanted to democratize wireless connectivity and go from premium chips to something that is very inexpensive. And so we have that. And then those of us in the field, uh, my background is in the beacon technology business. I wrote a beacon technology book and do another podcast that's a lot geekier than yours. And so we have this kind of interesting background of RFID, silicon, and, and the Bluetooth beacon business all coming into one. And can you tell people about your podcast in case they want to subscribe? Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so it's the Mr. Beacon podcast, which is a kind of an embarrassing name for me. Uh, so you don't get to choose your nickname. It was given to me by someone at the Bluetooth SIG. And previously, I used to call it the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System. And no one could remember that. So it's just the Mr. Beacon podcast. And how can people follow Williot and stay in touch with all of the exciting work you're doing? So williot.com is our website. Uh, you can subscribe there. We're in the process of putting a lot more online so that more people can figure out how to use our technology. And then, of course, we're on social media, Williot HQ on Twitter and Facebook. Great. Well, Steve, thank you so much for your time. It's such a fascinating time to be working in fashion and technology, and it's so inspiring uh, what you're doing with such a simple product. Uh, it's a real pleasure, Amanda. That was my conversation with Steve Stotler, the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Business Development at Williot. You can learn more about Williot by heading to our website, that's electricrunway.com, and clicking on podcasts. That's also where you'll find all past and future episodes of the show. For daily fashion tech freshness, I invite you to follow Electric Runway on Instagram and Twitter. We're at electric underscore runway. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so and leave us a five-star rating. It helps listeners like you find content just like ours. Thanks so much for tuning in. And until next time, here's looking towards the future. Oh, 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 o